Welcome. You are now tuned in to Real Estate Investing Women podcast. Laura and myself, Liz, are a mother-daughter team that has a combination of lifetime experience as Laura has over 33 years of experience in the real estate investing business, but also with a modern vision and approach by myself, Liz, a newer investor of five years. Combined, we created a winning formula. We are dedicated to empowering women as they start the real estate investing journey by offering a supportive community of like-minded women, up-to-date training and strategies, and showing you how to build a real estate investing business of your dreams around your lifestyle. We are going to share with you the real deal as it comes to real estate investing. So listen in, and today we will address a specific topic and answer your burning real estate investing questions. Be sure to email in your questions to be featured at questions at realestateinvestingwomen.com. Let's get started. Hello, everyone. Uh, today, we are going to have a special guest. Her name is Haley Carter. And uh, we are going to talk about a lot of different things, you know, from uh, uh, promoting luxury real estate properties on how she got started in real estate and what her interests are, uh, including philanthropy, using real estate as a vehicle and making connections and networking. So we have a lot of topic here that I know a lot of you are interested in because we always say that real estate is about connections and who you know, right? So, well, welcome, Haley. Thank you so much for having me today, Laura. Great. Well, thanks for spending here a little bit of time and covering also many interesting topics for the uh, ladies listening to us today. So tell us a little bit about your life before real estate. Sure. So right out of undergrad, I moved to New York City and I was in marketing and advertising. I worked for a large ad firm called Gray Worldwide. There I worked in account management and my account was Pantene Pro-V across North America. So I'd say that that was an excellent training ground to go anywhere next in marketing and advertising. Um, it, it, it worked out really, really well for me. When I left New York, which at that point in time, was not that I was unhappy in my job, but I had some um, family circumstances at home and being in Boston was important. So I shifted back um, north and uh, did a little marketing, public relations, advertising for a smaller firm and realized that although I loved advertising at a big New York City firm, that the smaller firms just weren't my, where my heart was. So at that point in time, my husband was actually in real estate. He still is today. Uh, and I, I just found that everywhere we went, every conversation that we had, if it was a breakfast, if it was a baby shower, if regardless of what it was, if we went out to dinner, we always were talking real estate. So for me, it became a really natural progression um, to give it a shot. And what I liked is I could take my marketing and advertising background and, and really stand out because of it um, to date. So this was probably around 2008, 2009. And a lot of the social tools that we see and advertising that's done for real estate just wasn't done there. Back then it was simply putting the home on MLS and waiting for the phone to ring. And I saw it as an opportunity to do something a little different. Great. So yes, like you said, you know, a lot of times we, you know, I know me too, I got in real estate. I heard everybody talking about real estate and all the money that was made was in real estate. So it seemed to be a constant throughout there in the business and society. So, um, and so that brings me to the next question. And I know you already covered a little bit that, you know, why real estate specifically and how did you get started? 
Yeah, so for me, it really did come down to circumstances. So my husband, he was working with Otis Nahern, who has since been acquired by Douglas Element here in Boston. And he had a really strong business. This predated Teams, but he couldn't be in two places at once. So if he had multiple properties on the market, he would do an open house at one. I would do an open house at the other. And I was just learning as we went. So I did not know where this was going to take me, but I knew every day I went back to it. I loved it the energy around it, um, showing the homes, meeting people from all over the world, really marketing them to stand out. It, it was a fit for me. Great. And so you say that you are located in Boston, right? Right. And yeah. so what are you doing right now as far as real estate and what are you working on? Yes. Yeah, so the properties that I special in tend to be high-rise luxury located right in Boston proper. Uh, right now I'm sitting in Millennium Tower, which is a beautiful 442 unit building um, built by Millennium Partners, Handel Architects back in 2016. Um, this is their second property in Boston that they put their name on. They had Millennium Place, Millennium Tower. Prior to that, they did the Ritz-Carlton and one Charles in Boston. And um, they've got a really exciting property just a few blocks over that's called Winthrop Center. So there's just so much going on in real estate, um, high-rise luxury. These are all fully amenitized buildings. So really they have all the bells and whistles, the Junior Olympic swimming pool, the movie room, the conference room. Um, really excited at Millennium Tower. We had had a bar restaurant that was open prior to COVID and we're finally getting it back open, hopefully within the month. So people are super, super excited about that. But um, what these properties really touch upon is lifestyle. So when we're selling them, it's less about, hey, look at the kitchen, look at the Carrera marble. It's more, this is a beautiful space, but then come downstairs and this is your community. This is meant to be like, you're gonna go and you're gonna swim every morning and then you're gonna go to coffee service, chat with your neighbors, interact with people globally. So it, it really, really comes back to lifestyle at these properties. We wouldn't be able to achieve the price per square foot. And um, depending on the property and viewpoint, you know, it's anywhere from 1,400 to 3,000 plus per square foot. So we're hitting pretty big numbers. And with that, the expectations are extremely high for the residents. Yeah. And I would like to talk a little bit more about this topic because, uh, you know, I don't know if you or a lot of viewers know, I got my start in real estate in Hawaii. Uh, working in the luxury industry. So that's what I actually started back 35 years ago. But um, what a beautiful it, place to be. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. Everything is luxury over there. Even back then, the prices were luxury. But with that said, you know, is it, and I do coach about uh, investing in luxury property, flipping properties, rehabbing, and so forth. So I would like to spend a little more on this topic since uh, you have a knowledge of it. And one of the things you said that really, people have to understand it's not just the property itself, like you said, you know, the amenities of the property, but it's a lifestyle, right? Perfect. So like, if you look at, I know I was looking at the Ritz-Carlton residences here for myself, honestly. And the thing is the concept is the lifestyle, you know? Yeah, of course you have a nice apartment and nice condo, but the thing is everything else that comes along with that, you know? So how, um, as a real estate broker and also an investor that maybe wants to deal with uh, refurbishing luxury and properties or investing in luxury properties, how do you have to change your mindset to work from the regular side of real estate to going into the luxury market? And I'd like you to spend a little bit on that because I think you touched something there. It's a lifestyle. But like for I tell my- For investor or for broker? 
I just want to um, already on the well, talk as an agent and then you know uh, you work with people that are investors as well I'm sure they are looking into the luxury market either for their own use or for um, you know investing for out of uh, the country investors and so forth sure. and uh, and I'm actually meeting I'm going back to Italy next month and I have some friend there she's an architect and she has a lot of connections with people that won't want to invest in the luxury market here in America. So we're going to be talking as well. But with that said, I would like you to spend a little bit about if somebody has been doing residential real estate or regular real estate, right? To transition into the luxury market, either as an agent and also as an investor, somebody looking to get into, what are some of the tips or things that you say they need to really pivot in changing that particular mindset? Yeah. So if I was a broker and I'm just focused on just real estate and I did desire to get into the luxury market, I would align myself with a team that is selling the luxury lifestyle, is regularly transacting in buildings that I would long-term goal want to represent and volunteer to get in on the ground level, uh, chat with other brokers and say, I'd be more than happy to do your open houses, um, see if you can shadow other experienced agents in the building. Um, certainly you never want to be anybody but your authentic self. But I know when I am with a very good agent, I might think, oh my gosh, I love how Kathy does whatever it is. Maybe it's to make an introduction or, or a segue. Um, so I know over my years by really going on tours with the best of the best agents, there's always something that you can learn from each agent and um, you know, bring it back to yourself. But if one thing that they do resonates and that's a way for you to improve, uh, that's always great. Right. Yeah, that's one of the most important thing. And actually, in my training that I have for luxury properties, I say that you have to associate yourself with the right company, with the right team. Okay. Yes. So you have to see if your brokerage is doing deals with the luxury real estate. Like the one I dealt with Hawaii dealt exclusively with luxury real estate. Um, so when you get into that, obviously you get into a different culture and you get a different buyer base that do expect certain type of property. So yeah, that's the first step. I would say definitely to associate yourself with the right company and the right team. Sure. Now, I know even for my team members, because I, I do manage a team of um, 12 agents and for them, it, I am willing to let any of them come and work my open houses, but they have to be sure that they are experts in the property first. So that's shadowing me as many times as it takes. It's learning exactly the, the unit mix, um, who the architect was, when it was first developed. So I welcome them to come and help in this property, but it's not just, oh yeah, I'm going to unlock the door. They have to invest the time to really learn right. and excel. Because if somebody is representing me and my team at a Millennium Tower, at a Ritz-Carlton, I want to be sure that they know that product as best as they possibly can. And of course, somebody could pepper you with questions and you may not know the answer to every question, but at least let's get the basics correct. And then if you don't know the answer, you know, let them know. It's okay. I'm going to reach out to Haley. I'll get back to you with that information. And if you say you're going to get back to somebody, make sure you do, even if that's just with a follow-up, hey, you know what? I've reached out. I haven't heard back, but I just want to let you know that I'm on it. Because the expectations of a luxury buyer are extremely, they, they want the information when they want it. Um, and communicating any delays is extremely important. Right. And so th since you mentioned that, how are different luxury end buyers, you know, and I, obviously we kind of know the, the, the answer here, but I wanted to touch base a little more. How are different luxury end buyers from regular buyers? 
What do I, what are their expectations? I mean, I'd like to think that I treat every buyer, regardless of where they are in net worth equally, but I will say the high net worth buyers, they tend to be C-level in companies. So if their expectation, if they're running a 5,000 person company and they snap their fingers, they want their employees to jump. And when they're asking their realtor for information, they also want us to do the same. So I think that they come in and their expectations are always already so much higher just because of um, how they live life. Right. And now as far as the sellers are concerned, how are the sellers different on a higher end property? Well, oftentimes the sellers are more educated as to the market. Um, This is not their first rodeo. They've had many, many, many real estate transactions. So to some degree, they need less hand-holding than certainly a first-time home buyer. But um, what they're going to expect from your marketing campaign might be might be higher. Right. You know, I, I have luxury sellers and we bring a property to market. They're going to want not only the professional photos, um, Vimeo tours, they'll want um, lifestyle videos, dedicated websites, and the list goes on and on and on. They want to be sure that you're working with a credible public relations team and that they're going to be, if, if, this, is, if this is a home that may be a Wall Street Journal house of the day, you know, they're going to want it. Right. Yeah, they're more concerned about image, obviously, and dealing with the right people. Um, And and once again, I I think even with them, it gets back to communication. So it's one thing to do something, Um, you know, I have some agents and and they'll say, oh, but I was working so, so hard. And I did, I did 20 appointments and I cut the website up and, you know, they'll throw in like six or seven other task items. And that's all great. But if you're not communicating that information with the seller, they don't know what's going on behind the scenes. So it's important to do it in a, a really tactful way and having regular communication. If that's an email every Monday with a report, this is what went on last week. Uh, these are potential buyers. This is who's coming back for a second tour. Uh, the more information that you can provide and, and think of it, if, if these are, and many of my clients are, if they're C-level and they're used to getting these reports from their staff weekly. So they expect the same from their realtor. Right, yeah, of course, you know, because they pay such higher premium yeah. for this, that they expect a lot more, definitely. So yeah, and, and what I say, you know, to my students are interested in luxury market, you know, you have to understand you're dealing with different type. Well, when you're dealing with the lower hand distressed buyers or, sell, or sellers, I would say, you know, you wanna you wanna be kind of humble in yourself where when you hand with the higher end, they wanna see you successful. They wanna see you drive the certain car and wear a certain clothes, you know, those the details also go. So you have to make a decision at one point. If you wanna deal with the market, you also have to be around certain single circles and have a certain persona. Um, so now also with the success you had in real estate, I read that you also have an interest in philanthropy. You want to talk a little bit about that because, uh, you know, it's about giving, right? So as you get successful, you want to share what you've done as well. So talk a little bit about your interest in philanthropies. Sure. So a charity that's always been dear to my heart is the St. Francis House, which is the largest homeless day shelter in New England. And I first got involved with this organization back in 2013, when I, my family and I, we moved into Millennium Place, which is right down the street from where I'm at now. Beautiful location right behind the Ritz-Carlton. But um, just like most urban areas, we have a robust homeless population. And the St. Francis House was located right around the corner. So when I first moved into the building, I heard some of the residents, um, you know, expressing concern that there was a certain element, a certain population that was walking around and they'd see them. My thoughts to myself, you know, I graduated from Emerson, which is basically in the same locale in 2003. And 
that was there then, we're now in 2013, but St. Francis House hasn't changed. You know, it's always been there, but, but newer high-rise properties are going up and then the neighborhood was changing. It was transitional. So I picked up the phone and I, I called the St. Francis House and just left a general voicemail and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a mom. I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old. I just moved into the neighborhood. I'm eager to learn more about what's going on because my guess was what I was seeing on the street was not reflective of what went on within those four walls. And I was, you know, spot on when I went in, Karen LaFrasia, the executive director, she reached out to me personally. She invited me in for a tour and I saw just so much good that was happening inside. Everything from job training programs um, with floors built out as executive workspaces by Fidelity, one of their long-term partners, to catering kitchens and yoga studios, art studios. It was just it was so, so impressive. Um, so it was eye-opening. And at that point in time, I got really involved with that organization. Once I was more in real estate, um, we thought that, you know, we are selling high-rise luxury, um, but at the end of the day, it, it comes back to a home and a place to belong. So here I was, I was lucky and fortunate enough to be living in a, a beautiful amenitized property in Boston and to be selling and repping them. Uh, but there are neighbors just right around the corner, which who knows what kind of windfalls they may have experienced brought them to that place. But um, we became passionate about giving back. So for every open house that we have, for every person who signs in, we donate a pair of socks. Um, for every 50 pairs of socks, we donate a pair of shoes. This Most summers, I think this one's going to be a little different, um, but there's a, an event that's sponsored called the Shoes Cruise. And it's not an expensive ticket, but everybody who comes must bring at least one pair of the shoes. To be honest, my team members, we go and we've got big bags full of shoes. <laughs> Um, so it's just, it's a small way that we give back and um, it's, we're community event driven real estate. That's something that's really important to me. And they really are a community. They're right here. We're, we're all human. And um, I, I do think it's important to give back to those who are less fortunate. Right. Yeah. As you, and women feel, I think very strongly about this. Um, a lot of the students and women I work with, they have, uh, you know, this desire that they want to get in real estate because they want to start a nonprofit or there is something that they want to do out there. They feel they help and obviously they need the money to help, you know, sure. beside uh, volunteering already. So, um, yeah, this is something that's a topic that's very interesting to a lot of women. And one of the main reasons a lot of women go into real estate is because of having this type of interest. So that's why I want to bring up that what you're doing. Um, good. So what would you say uh, throughout your career getting into real estate? What are you most proud of? What am I most proud of? One of the things I'm most proud of, I'm sure there are more than one, but what would you be one of them that you're most proud of? So I've definitely had some record sales here at Millennium Tower, penthouse units, um, you know, transacting just shy of $10 million. And, and that's fantastic. Uh, but I, I don't know, I, I could say that as a career highlight at the end of the day, I, I hesitate to say that that's what I'm most proud of. <laughs> um, I think I'm proud that collectively, that to be a part of a community when I moved into Millennium Tower in 2016, just to see everybody grow together from all walks of life. What I love about this building is that you can come down and have coffee in the morning. And I've seen everybody from, you know, ladies in their 80s who are wonderful and willing to lend an ear and sh share advice um, to people from all over the world to um, 18, 19 year olds who find themselves at school, university in Boston from Kuwait or Pakistan. And it's just, 
to see the community that has grown here within this building, um, I'm really proud to be a part of that. I'm really proud to be a mom. I'm really proud to be a wife. But I don't think to me it goes back to um, career milestones. Right. No, I don't know. My team, uh, they, we've, we've really only been Cutter Lux living for about a year now. We transitioned from Douglas Elliman to Compass. And um, at that point in time, I had had a business partner who had been a great mentor for about seven years. And due to circumstances externally, it was clear that we had to go off in different direction. Um, so the, almost all the team members who were with us um, did decide to transition with me. And, and they took a risk because she kept the name, she kept the brand. Um, it had been hers initially, but we were all marketing and branding it for about seven years. Um, so when they signed on to be, I think at one point in time, it was said like, go with Haley and do you know, whatever her team name is gonna be called. Like nobody even knew. And then collectively we decided we would become Cutter Lux Living. And what is Cutter Lux Living going to look like? How is it going to operate? There were some instances that, you know, people would say, well, why do we do things this way? And I would say, oh, well, that's how we always did them. But here is now an opportunity. And if somebody wants to try something else, let's, let's try it. This, this company, this group, we are going to develop it together. So I'm really proud of what we've accomplished. Um, our sales year over year are, are stronger than they were last year. I think at this point in time, um, we probably have about 63 million under agreement for the year, more in escrow. And um, I'd expect, I'd, I'd hope that we transact over $100 million this year. Great. So, really, really proud of, of every single member of my team. Sure. And uh, what would you say has been some of the biggest mistakes you've done that, you know, getting into the business? I don't know big mistakes, but I will say every single day, somebody on my team makes what we would call a mistake and we will use it as a learning moment. Um, we are constantly assessing ourselves. Um, did a pitch go well? But yes, we won the listing. Well, even though we won it, was there something that we could have done differently? If we didn't win the listing, is there something that we could have done that perhaps would have resulted in a different end result? Um, so I think that we're always evaluating actions and seeing if even as a team, if we can get it out there, if we can brainstorm, well, I did A, B, C, and D, and somebody might say, oh, but did you consider, and they'll throw out an idea. Um, and that's the power of a team. I, I host a, a weekly team meeting, and we're constantly going over best practices. So what we do well, what we do wrong, what we might be able to change for tomorrow. Right. Yeah, no, definitely being in the right community is one of the things we always reinforce as well. And uh, it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that I also tell the ladies, you know, the followers is that, you know, you can be your best friend or your worst enemy. But the thing what you need to do as every day, journal, write down at the end of the day, what have you done, you know, your real estate transactions? What did you do today? What could you have done different? What do you accomplish and what did you learn from it? And Absolutely. so, that's so important to reflect. Yeah, and journal on that and learn from what you're doing every okay. single day. I said, it doesn't matter if you've been in this business 30 plus years. Uh, I said, you know, I still learn every day, you know. Absolutely. So yeah, great. So what is some of, uh, you know, uh, the books or something that resonated with you that really opened up your eyes to the different possibilities in real estate, but also in life? It's something that you would say that was where I guess a lot of my aha moments. I can't come back to a specific book. Um, I read an awful lot, but I, I wouldn't say it's been a specific book. I, I do have my master's of business. I have my undergrad degree. I'm always learning. I'm always 
getting certified in different states, not even necessarily to operate in them, but just to know what the rules and regulations and how other people are operating. So I think it's just important, regardless of what it is, is every day to just always be learning, always be a student. I consider myself to be a student first. Right. Yeah. And no. there's so many great podcasts and books and fiction and nonfiction. Um, I think it's important to to read a little bit of everything. Right. Well, yeah, and find, you know, something that resonates with you. You know, that's the important thing. You know, as I always say I like to just check out books from the library before I buy them. Uh, because it's like uh, I want to see if the first 10 to 20 pages interest me, then I get the book. If not, you know, it's not nothing lost. So yeah, definitely. I, I read every single day. I have several books, one in the morning, one in the evening that I tackle <laughs> every day. And it's always about spending and understanding what is going on out there in the world, right? So, And there is a book, and I was just trying to see if I could look up the author. It's on the tip of my tongue. Um, and I imagine I will call it by the time this podcast is over. But the book is called Who Not How. And uh-huh. the basis of it is if you're ever, you know, oh my gosh, how am I going to get that done? I don't know how to do it. Then you're not the right person for the job. So that's how our team is really structured over the last year. We have, we're not just looking to add great realtors. We're looking to add great realtors with different and complementary skill sets. So mm-hmm. I have a woman on my team that previously she had been a writer for Bravo. She writes all of the narratives, property descriptions. I have a woman on my team who is outstanding at lifestyle video. She does the lifestyle videos. Somebody else is able to um, translate into Mandarin and Cantonese and go behind the firewall on WeChat. You know, that's not a skill set that that everybody has. And then, you know, the list goes on. There are people who are extremely good uh, at finance, at analytics, at doing CMAs. So when I looked to really build my team, it wasn't just to have a bunch of rock star realtors. I didn't want everybody to competing with each other. This is really, we're running more as a business and less as competitors. Right. Yeah, there is uh, the book E-Myth and also, you know, reading biography of some, uh, you know, tycoons in real estate and gurus. That's one of the things that always stands out is that there are people that are better at doing something than you are. So, you know, one of the problems I see a lot of entrepreneurs, they feel like they got to do everything. You know, they have to know a little bit of everything. You don't. You know, I don't know a lot of the stuff that has works behind the curtains. That's why I hire people to do that. Right. Yeah. You have the vision, you work on the business, you're the visionary, but then other people are probably better at implementing than you are, you know. And so recognize where the gaps and the skill sets are. And then perhaps that's a, a person that you need to go out and hire versus just, I need to go hire someone who's going to do another 15 million in real estate this year. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's, that's the thing, you know, there are people there that have skills for that particular thing and you're better off hiring them. Great. So uh, share with us uh, three best pieces of advice that you would like to give a woman who wants to get into real estate, either as an agent or an investor, what would you tell her? So first and foremost, I'd say don't delay. Okay. Now, right, take action, right? Absolutely. So if that is you're looking to get your real estate license um, now more so than ever in a post-COVID environment, you can do it online. Now you can sign up for the class right now and you can get started today. So I highly recommend if you're interested that you get started. Um, mm-hmm. If you are licensed, I'd recommend that you find a team or a mentor that you can align yourself with and learn from. And If you're a real estate investor, um, do your homework and and really narrow in what kind of an investor you want to be. 
So I don't deal with investors who flip properties. It would not be advantageous in the market that I operate for them to do it. Um, they can't add value, right? You're going into this beautiful home and no matter how you change that countertop or, or, or flooring, it, it's already beautiful. So I, I look for places where you can add value if you are a flipper and if your investor make a long-term plan. Um, so I've had many investors who have been successful at getting into amenitized buildings at the very beginning. Typically when a building is first going up, um, there are some incentives that the developers offer. Oftentimes they need to hit certain levels with bank loans. And if they don't hit you know, a certain amount of homes that they have under agreement, then um, that's not good for them. So they are often more willing to negotiate in the beginning stages. Um, yeah, of, of the properties that I mentioned earlier, really the, the individuals who purchased either as end users or in a, as investors in the first wave from the developer, they always fare the best. Right. Yeah, I like what you said about, uh, you know, being very careful aligning yourself with the right community and team. And I always say that I believe that my success in real estate, you know, because I was going for I went to college like you, right? I went for business, I got an MBA. Yeah. Um, but one of my thing is I, I started with the right team in real estate back when I was in my early years of college. And I did college just for part-time, just to start to pay for college, honestly. I mean, real estate. Mm -hmm. I align myself with the right team who showed me the possibilities who were uh, successful real estate agents, but they're also, you know, helping younger to raise at their level. And they made a whole difference. They impacted my life. So to really start on the right foot as an agent, and then I transitioned to an investor a few years later, just because, again, these agents were also investors, most of them, and I saw the possibilities there, and I transitioned more to, although I kept my license, I transitioned to investment. So sure. aligning yourself with the right people, I think is so crucial. Um, in this business from, from the first day, because it can make it or break it. If you align with the people that you have to watch your back all the time, or you think they're not really uh, going for the same goals, then you can probably get tired and you say, oh, this business doesn't work, a bunch of crooks in there, and you don't want to do it anymore. And then you go back to square one. So I think from what you say, you know, I totally agree with that statement. I agree. So, I always say with our clients, it's it's not a, a transaction, it's a relationship, but I would take it a step forward and say, whatever team you're aligned with, whatever mentor you're aligned with, it should also not just be transactional. It should be right. a relationship. And, and a question that I recommend that women new to real estate ask, um, you know, does the team have a weekly meeting? Or if it's like you just going in under a single agent, will you sit down one-on-one? -on -one? Will you get on the phone? Because making sure that you set aside time where it's dedicated to, to mentoring, to learning, to advancement. That's all important, maybe even more so than the day-to-day -day questions about, I'm going to show the house and, you know, like, like whatever that day-to-day -day step is on the real estate front as far as showings to me in the long run is less important than the long-term mentorship. Right. No, definitely. Okay, great. Well, a lot of good golden nuggets here today on this interview. So how can people find out more about you, contact information, website, anything you want to share? Yes, yeah, sure. So my Instagram is Haley.Cutter. And then for a website, uh, cutterlux.com. And yeah, I'm also always searchable on the Compass page. If you were to put in Haley Cutter and Compass, I imagine it would come right up. 
Okay. Well, we're going to also put the information in writing when we post this uh, podcast video. And what I also say too is I'm always, I always have five minutes for a phone call for an email. So if something that I said resonates, if you live in Iowa, if you live wherever it may be, and you want to pick up the phone and you say, I'm a new agent, I'm looking to get into real estate. I will always have five minutes. Great. Well, thanks a lot for spending this time and, you know, open up the eyes to different opportunities and talking about luxury because it's one of the topics hard to find people that are really dealing with it. So great. Thanks for sharing your uh, knowledge. Yeah. Thanks for chatting with me this morning. I really appreciate it. And look forward to connecting with you soon. Thank Thank you so much. Take care.